Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast. Podcast for two former roommates talk about movies. We are back in May Mania with a very, very special episode today. Uh, it is actually episode 100 of Cap. So if you are listening to this, very, very special episode, and it's going to be a good one. Today we are breaking down Corbin's short film Contactless, but this time we are actually joined by the man himself, director, writer, editor, actor, etc. Et <laughs> I'm sure I missed a couple. Corbin is vocal. How are you doing today? I appreciate the intro, Cody. I'm doing great. Really excited for episode 100. This is also my birthday episode. We're celebrating today, celebrating a little early as of the recording of this. But yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Contactless. And I'm also excited to talk about it for the final time. I'll say it will never get mentioned on the podcast again. So for my for my birthday episode, we're doing one last hurrah. You obviously did a great breakdown mm-hmm. uh, a little under a year ago at this point, based on that trivia battle that we we did against each other. You lost. You had to do the breakdown of it, and uh, that was a great episode that you did. I loved listening to it, and I had a lot of things I wanted to share regarding some of your thoughts. So uh-huh. I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to both talk about. How do you like make a movie? How do you make a short film? And also some specifics about making contactless. 100% just bounce off a couple of things. Uh, Yeah, if you haven't checked out that episode that I have done, I did a quick uh, mini breakdown of contactless back in December. So if you want to kind of understand the context of our entire conversation there, definitely go check that out if you have not yet. And of course, I was going to mention as well, this is Corbin's special birthday pod episode. We may be doing another one for me later in the month, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, obviously off the bat here. Happy early birthday, Corbin. May 16th is coming up quickly, my man. And obviously this is going to be released on that date. So if you are listening on the 16th, make sure to, to reach out and wish Corbin a happy birthday because uh, ho- hopefully it's a good one uh, after breaking down contactless a little bit more too. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll appreciate all the love. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but basically off the top here, I say we just jump straight into this. We will touch on later some of my burning questions that you know I touched on uh, in my episode. But off the... Off the top here, I did just want to kick it off and basically, like you said, go into more of the making of the film. That was kind of a lot of my uh, gray areas of, you know, I had a bunch of questions in that area as well. But uh, yeah, I say we just kick it off there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of steps going into this, obviously. But uh, definitely, I want to hear you kind of break down of, you know, pre-thoughts and, and moving into everything as well. Yeah, absolutely. So just, I mean, right off the bat, for those that don't know, contactless. Ooh is the name of the short film that I made basically is like my, you could call it a senior thesis project. It wasn't necessarily that, but my second semester of my senior year, I took a short film directing class for the whole semester. And my, my whole project was making this short film. So it's about eight and a half minutes. Um, it stars some former guests of this podcast, uh, Jack Laub, uh, as well as Ben Smith, Austin Neithelser, Jacob Hughes, all in some smaller roles. And then also it stars Chris Duncan, who has never made a podcast appearance, but I mean, there's still time for sure. Um, <laughs> Chris, yeah. if you're listening, you want to come on? Yeah, you're welcome on the show as uh, all our contactless are. Jack Lapp had a great Bears um, Bears Day Off episode. So check that out as well. But yeah, of course. Yeah, a lot of great people involved in it. A lot of great crew as well um, behind the scenes. But this was essentially just a project I worked on for a whole semester from pre-production conception. I wrote it, did different drafts of the script, had to do all the pre-production planning, the production planning, shot it all in one day, um, edited it all myself, and uh, then had it ready at the end of the semester. So 
it's a bit on letterbox it's on youtube you can you can go watch it uh check the link in the description and uh go log it on letterbox if uh if you're watching it big facts check out my review of course as well but that was one of the things i was curious about kind of the start process all the way through I, it only took a day to shoot which I don't know if I was aware of that in my context like episode. That would have been good information to have. Maybe could have used another two a day or two, but it was all shot in one, uh, about probably like eight or nine hours total. I just wanted to say off the top also, like I realized like this is not a masterwork. I did not create something that's incredible. Uh, I am proud of what I did and I'm proud of all the people who worked on it. I think I'm a really awful writer more than anything else. I, I think that's the worst thing about this, but just in general, I think it's it's well done. I think it's well made. I put it together well, but I don't think it's anything incredible, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, I disagree with most of what you're saying, <laughs> there, but I think it's a good project. But uh, anywho, we, we dig- digress there. Uh, definitely agree to disagree. How long did like the entire process, do you think from the start, how long do you think that took? I mean, if we want to take like the initial conception of the idea, because here's the thing. So okay. the first thing you want to start with when you're making a movie is, you know, what are you going to make it about? And you start with your log line. So a log line is basically a one sentence description of what the movie is going to be. Really simply, you could do protagonist plus an inciting incident plus what's their goal, plus a conflict. And that is literally your log line. Here's a couple uh, examples of log lines and see if you can maybe figure out what the movie they are. Two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. Uh, sounds like a good movie. Uh, possibly uh, Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. yeah, there you go. A Las Vegas set comedy centered around three groomsmen who lose their about-to-be-wed buddy during their drunken misadventures, then must retrace their steps in order to find him. Uh, the Hangover 2? Exactly. So that's an example <laughs> of a logline. Um, I actually took a screenwriting class the summer after my sophomore year. So this was two years before I would make this movie. And we had to come up with a couple log lines, potential log lines for a script we were going to write. And one of the three log lines I wrote was a neurotic pizza delivery boy must attempt to escape a crazy killer after witnessing a homicide while out for a routine delivery. So all the way from that conception three years ago, I had that log line, which I didn't even use for that class. I ended up using a different one to write the script for that class. And then it came back, I had to come up with an idea for this directing class. And I went, okay, what log lines do I have? What have I thought of? I found this one and I said, you know what? Let's flesh this out into a full screenplay. Um, From there, I had to write it out. We ended up with like eight or nine pages. The casting process comes in after that. Um, And really from the log line up until the end of the semester, it was the entire semester I was working on it in some capacity for sure. So definitely a long process. That is super cool as well. It was kind of from a a class. You didn't even use that one either. So you kind of put it on the back burner for a little bit, which I think is very fun. But uh, yeah, talk more about the casting process too. Did you kind of know who you wanted to play these parts? Were there multiple people? Yeah, I mean, the casting, I think, was probably the most difficult thing. And I think I got really lucky Mm -hmm. grabbing Jack and Chris. Obviously, everybody else is just people I knew already, people that I was friends with. But The way it worked is for our class, we did basically an open casting call to the entire campus. We're going to do casting on these two different nights. We asked people to show up and then we had every movie from our class, the log line written out and a bunch of different sides for the different roles we were casting. So some people's short films, there was about 12 of us in the class. Some people were, had to cast like, you know, eight or 10 roles because they had a bigger cast. Luckily for me, 
I was really just looking for my main two pizza delivery drivers. And then if I could find someone else for a different role, that would be great. Um, but the idea was get the two pizza delivery drivers. We had a lot of great people come in and read. We filmed them. I had, it was basically that intro car scene for both of them. So if you're reading for Chris, you would read, you know, his lines and I did the back and forth and then, you know, maybe for the role that Jack did, but yeah, so they, they read through the script. We filmed it. I spent a couple of days looking over all the filming. The big thing was, you know, pairing people together. So, okay. If, if I go with this person for the main role of Timothy, you know, who do I want as that secondary role together? So it's like, you know, maybe someone was good here, but we, we wanted to pair them together. And finally I settled on, I think Jack and Chris would be my two guys when I got to that point, I asked him to do one last read, just both of them together, because I thought it was really important that I did get a read of those two characters together, because they need to have some sort of chemistry on screen. So we did a little Zoom table read together. Um, I felt confident with what, what I saw there, what I listened to, and I officially cast them. And then from there, finding the rest of the roles, it was kind of just like, Hey, uh, Austin, I went over to, to your old room, knocked on the door. Hey, Austin, will you uh, be in this movie real quick? I need you to kill somebody. Uh, oh, hey, Jake, go upstairs. <laughs> hey, Jake, can you play dead for a second? Um, the cop role, I actually never planned for it to be to me. It was more of if I don't find anybody to do it, I'll step in and do it. Worst case scenario. The biggest uh -huh. thing is the cop was supposed to be kind of an older person. I, just with the way our casting worked out. I never really got in touch with a person that I found to be right. So I was just like, fuck it. I'll do it myself. And you know, it works out. It's a fun little cameo, uh, which I know you love, but um, oh, yeah. I think I got really lucky with casting overall. I think the cast is great. Honestly, um, I guess that includes you, you know, we could go back and forth on that, but no, I love the Tarantino esque uh, cameo. If you've checked out my letterbox review, that's of course what I'm uh, mentioning there, but yeah, that is super cool. And then obviously, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, just having so many hats in the ring here, obviously, even after uh, kind of filming the day, your work was not over, man. You went right back to it in post. So talk about the editing process. I mean, how long, or I guess, I mean, there's a ton of stuff involved in the filming too. One of the things that I wanted to bring up off the bat was lighting, which I always find extremely difficult. Um, did you have any kind of big things in the shoot that you wanted to talk about or anything like that? Well, I, I got to give a shout out. I mean, everybody that helped put this together, Colby, Goyette, my man, who was my producer, the way that the class was worked, um, is that everybody that was in the directing class was paired up with somebody to where they would produce your film that you would direct, and then you would produce their film, their directing. So Colby directed a great film, Buggy and the Burbs that I was the, um, the producer on helped him was there on shoot day, all that. Um, he shot his first actually the weekend before. So it was kind of a good trial run of, as we were doing that shoot, I kind of saw, okay, here's some things that worked. Here's some things that didn't work. Here's things that I know I can do better. Just having that experience every day you do something and you, know, you get more experience. And, and when it comes to shooting a movie, just going out and doing it, it is a great experience. So I worked with Colby, who was an awesome uh, producing partner. Um, we did that first day of shooting with him. And then when it came time to do mine, I knew I needed somebody um, cinematography wise that I could really trust that could be really strong. And that I knew did great work. That's where Pablo comes in. Pablo, I've worked with him on Boiler Ambassador stuff um, for the two years prior to this project. Um, he works for Purdue Athletics and is phenomenal. If you go and see like any basketball, like in-game footage montages in the last like two, three years, there's a good chance Pablo had his hands on it in some way, um, if not doing the entire thing himself, whether it's shooting and editing. He's extremely talented. 
Um, he also has incredible camera equipment. We shot this on a DaVinci Blackmagic um, 4K pocket camera. So he had incredible equipment. He has incredible insight. And I knew I needed to get him to be my cinematographer. And he came in and really helped out with a lot of the lighting, like you talked about, and, and a lot of figuring the shots out. Obviously, I we had it all planned out in advance of a particular shot list, because that's one of those things, you know, you need to know every setup, every shot you're going to get. Over the course of the day, we ended up, I think, with like 50 different shots. And then you take that, you know, three, four takes a piece, you end up with 200 different takes of footage that then in post I had to, you know, sift through, which, which is a whole thing. But when it comes to lighting, a lot of this was shot using natural light, which I think was really great, particularly the daytime stuff outside. We didn't really have to use a lot of extra stuff. We would uh, maybe use some black sheets for some bounce or, or, or just even um, some fill just to kind of uh, mess with the lighting a little bit in those daytime scenes, but mostly naturalistic. When it came to the nighttime stuff, that's when um, Pablo was a huge help, as well as bringing in some... Uh, artificial lighting was was huge so particularly the, the car scene where jack's in the car and he's on the phone uh we actually hid like a light up in the dash and then another one that was bouncing off the mirror of the car onto his eyes to kind of give a little bit of uh light around his eyes which i think is great and then all the stuff in the alleyway with uh austin's character and jack uh where the kind of the car pulls up we use some artificial lighting, but then also utilizing, you know, the, the brake lights of the car to add some red color in the background and the headlights of the car. Um, but we did provide some uh, additional help there as well. Love that. And uh, that specific scene as well is one of my favorites. Uh, anybody order pizza? I think. <laughs> anybody order a pizza? <laughs> it's an iconic line in my opinion. Love all that input there. Anything else you want to go into kind of in uh, post-production or do you want to keep it moving along to some of my questions? I think we kind of hit all of, I'm sure we'll, more stuff will come up yeah. um, as we go through. Perfect. Awesome. Well, love that, love that. Let's kick it into some of my general overthoughts and questions. So like you're saying, it was completely cut off or was a piece of it missing like when Mike Tyson- From my contactless breakdown, kind of fill in the gaps here of uh, of that episode, I would say. First off, I need to mention the obvious in the room. I think my biggest and burning question came around <laughs> the, the title font for contactless. And I want to knock this one out early just because it's kind of uh, my personal one. But does the font have anything to do with the famed uh, sci-fi film Contact, a great Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey joint, which um, is a you know well-known fi- well-known film in my family for some reason. But uh, did you steal the font, Corbin? I want to hear it from, uh, from the man himself. Well, I'm going to be honest. I, I hate to say this, Cody, but I'd never even seen Contact when you made this, um, this connection. <laughs> I will say looking at the title font, I don't really think they're very similar. But unfortunately, uh, all love to, to Foster McConaughey. But this it was not a reference. Hate to disappoint the people. <laughs> Fair enough. And kind of along the same vein, I did want to ask you... Because I do like the one-word titles as well. It's kind of a Denis Villeneuve special. Was there any kind of deeper thought process behind the, the title name? Or were you just kind of cheap? keep it simple? Contactless obviously has to do with the whole COVID vibe. I think it is a good kind of theme over round for it. But what was your kind of thought process there? Yeah, I mean, I, I loved the analysis that you had um, in the breakdown that you did where you kind of talked about this idea of like, you know, in reality, there is not, a, there's no contact happening in this. There's no like physical altercations necessarily. It's a lot of off-screen stuff or even, you know, hinted at violence at different points. But funny enough, the, if you, I, I have the screenplay pulled up right here and the, the title 
on the screenplay is actually contactless delivery. So it was very late in the process that I decided to just lop off the delivery. And even through production and shooting, I think officially the title was contactless delivery. But honestly, I found just in talking with people in in talking to my professor, like people like contactless, they would just talk, oh, your movie's contactless, right? Like that would just kind of flow off the tongue. That's how it was being referred to by the cast. And, you know, I was like, you know what? I think contactless works fine as a title. And, and like you said, I think it, that idea of contactless delivery in the kind of post COVID world um, was really fitting and, and obviously plays a huge role into the uh, story itself. Love that. Would have loved to seen contactless delivery in the contact front as well, but I think ultimately a, a good choice, drawing it down a little bit. So I love that. Um, sweet. Just moving on, talking more specifics and scenes and otherwise some shots. Off the top, I did actually just want to touch on the uh, the opening scene, which is one of my favorites. And honestly, and I think I said this in my review, but I think possibly one of my, another favorite thing of mine of the entire uh, short film is kind of the transition from the opening song of him walking up the steps. And then the transition to like the drumming beat of kind of, you know, the, the thriller vibes I think it has on it. Yeah, music, I think, was massive at this entire production, and especially, obviously, in the edit for you. But that opening scene, yeah, t- talk to me about that one. Yeah, so that song, I, I don't know the name or the artist of the song, but it is the the YouTube music studio is huge, man. There's a, a lot of great stuff on there, especially, you know, if you're trying to find uh, stuff for free, fair use, you know, copyright-free type music. Uh, the YouTube music studio is where I pulled that song particularly from. But I think it speaks to the character, you know, the main, the first line is, you know, why do you got to treat me this way? It's kind of like this character who's, you know, in a world who it's like, why is everybody, you know, forcing me to do things I don't want to do, trying to, you know, make me go outside my comfort zone, you know, so awful, so terrible. Um, So I love that song, but the transition from that into the drumming of the car from Chris, I think is really great. That was actually written into the script in a certain way, but I never intended it for it to be used that way. So I did, we, we obviously shot on that day, the shot of Chris drumming on um, the whole idea is you would just look back and he'd just kind of be there twiddling his thumbs. It, it's written in the script as to a song in his own head is the way it was seen. Um, you know, I didn't know what Chris was going to do. turns out Chris is a little bit of a musician himself. So he was there. Boom. He created an incredible little beat as he was going. And I just like, I, I loved the way that sounded. I was like, I need some sort of music here to build tension. Let's go with the diegetic sound of Chris drumming to, to build that tension out in this situation. And it's just one of those, like, this is why you you roll the camera. This is why you get coverage of shots when you don't necessarily know if you need it. This is why you have audio at all times because you never know when you're going to utilize something in a certain way or or, or something's going to come in handy. So that's uber creative. That is 100 percent one of my favorite things um, in the entire film. So shout out to that as well. It's kind of something that uh, kind of just came up on set that day and you kind of just jumped on it. So I love that. Um, cool. Another thing I did want to talk about in the opening too is of course the bloodiness. Uh, <laughs> our boys Jake Hughes. And Austin Neidenhauser, 
got a little messy here. Uh, I, I kind of want to hear the behind the scenes take on that. How much fake blood did you have to use for the whole process? It, it really wasn't a ton of fake blood because we were pretty strategic with the use of it. Okay. Um, I ordered this fake blood off of Amazon, got it a little uh, like court container of it. And from, I ordered it literally at the start of the semester when I knew I was shooting the movie. And then from then until the end of the year, I just had this vi this big tub, <laughs> not this big tub, but a little tub of fake blood just sitting on our like coffee table um, mm -hmm. for the entire semester. And then finally someone was like, why? Like I kept getting asked, why do you have this fake blood? And finally I just told someone, just take it, just take it home with you. I don't want it. Get it out of my house. And it, it left, it was gone. So who knows what happened to it? But when it comes to shooting that actual scene, I got to give a, another shout out to Jake for just letting me put the blood all over him. I know he struggled to get it off in the shower a little bit afterwards. It did stain him a little bit, but our methodology was just like, let's sit you down in this chair and let's dump some fake blood on you and then try and get some shots of it. This was definitely a case of, you know, low budget, didn't have incredible makeup or prosthetics that we could utilize. So we shot it in a way that was just, you know, real short, quick cuts try and, you know, leave it up to the viewer's imagination a little bit about what they would see if they, if they got the full image. Yeah. I like that too. Quick cuts. I feel like with horror stuff too, can be super effective. So that, that makes sense. Obviously low budget. I mean, you want to keep it at least suspenseful. So I think that makes sense. Cool. Just talking more about kind of the shots in general too. I feel like stuff in the car is always a little bit difficult to film. Well, let's, talk, let's talk about the car, Cody, because yeah. you, I, I know you wondered where did this car come from? Yeah. <laughs> it is a little bit strange because I, I never had a car uh, for my entire four years at Purdue. And it was the case of like, I kind of just was like waiting and waiting and be like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's like, I, I could ask Austin, but that seems like a big ask. You know, we're going to have to use it for the whole day and be driving around. And finally, I decided, I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to rent a car for this. Really? So um, it was not supposed to be a van. It was actually supposed to be just like a regular, like, at, like sedan, like four-door car. Yeah. Um, when I got to the rental car agency, they were like, oh, we don't have any cars for you. All we have is this van. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this sucks. I do not want them to be driving this van. So stupid. But that's all they had. They gave me a discount. So I took that, I guess. Um, and I took the van home. And of course, because of that, we get the great push to start moment that I know you love in the, yeah. in the car. Um, it was just written into the script of, hey, they're going to turn the key and they're going to drive off. Um, and then even in my shot sheet, it was turn key. You know, we're going to get a shot of the teacher the key turning in the ignition. And then of course, when I got the car, it was pushed to start. And I was like, you know what? We're going to make it a funny thing. We're going to include it as a joke. Um, and I think it worked out uh, really well. But the other great thing about having that van, when it came to moving equipment, it was really nice to have a huge you know, van. We could all just pile up into the back. We could throw all the you know, tripods, lighting, everything, and just go from location to location because we did shoot this um, at four different locations. So there was a little bit of traveling that had to happen. Um, and it was also super helpful for shooting stuff in the car, being able to pull, put Pablo just right in the back seat and, uh, you know, shoot everything. Um, I know you're a huge fan of that one take shot as they're pulling away and they're kind of arguing back and forth about not having a car charger. And that one was, was definitely a fun one to film, kind of just getting Pablo to be super active back there with the camera whipping back and forth and uh, have a little bit of a one in there, um, which is always great. Quick, give me your phone. We need to call the police. What the hell happened back there? And my phone died because we sat in front of that house for 20 minutes, remember? We need to get help now. 
Do you not have a car charger? Like, how is that even possible? Your job is literally dependent on your cell phone. All right, chill the fuck out. Like I said, you were contemplating getting out of the car from 30% to 0%. Okay, whatever. We need to go to the police. Finally, something I can work with. Unsurprisingly, I deliver to a ton of middle-aged cops. Probably like half my business. Yeah, love the long takes, of course, and... I think I said that in my review, but it always, when I see a shot like that, it always reminds me of the uh, La La Land shot of Damien Giselle, you know, Tona's camera and go back yeah, and yeah. forth. So I love and that it, as well. And the best and part about that shot is it's not actually one take. It's two takes. Yeah. If you, if you look at it, there is a, you can, if you like go frame by frame, you can kind of see it, but in the whip pans, it gets lost. So mm -hmm. I was able to kind of take two different takes that, you know, maybe the first half of one was good and the second half of one was better meld them together a little bit for a little movie magic there and make it seem like it's still a winner. Yeah. And in my review, I did not catch that. So shout out to, uh, you know, the man in post hops for making it look good. Uh, whoever that was, but, uh, yeah, just, I wanted to talk about location as well too. Cause obviously moving on to the second scene as well, you know, we go to the cops, uh, AKU, uh, the apartment. Was that anybody's specific apartment or that was, that was actually Colby's apartment. So shout out, okay. shout out to Colby, my producer again, um, for letting us use that space. I think we'll talk about it later about like, or maybe we can talk about it now, but in terms of things I would do over and do differently, I think that whole little mini scene was just a little bit rushed. I, I got to the location the first time I'd ever been in that specific space. I'd been to Colby's place before, but I'd never been to that lower area until the day we were shooting. So it was a lot of like, okay, we got here. We've got to kind of figure out how we're going to frame this stuff, how we're going to light it and shoot it all very quickly while on a time crunch, because Jack had like a meeting in the after, in the evening that he had to get to. So it was, if I were to do things over, I would say this particular scene that you're referencing, I would probably reshoot with just a little bit more time, a little bit more planning in advance, but overall, I think it turned out. Okay. Colby's apartment, especially in that lower area, it kind of works out. It kind of looks like a shitty, you know, single guy bachelor pad apartment. So yeah, I think it works out perfectly and uh, it really fits the, the aesthetic I was going for. But um, in terms of the shots uh, of that, I, I love my, my, my favorite shot is them walking up to the apartment actually, uh -huh. um, because we had a little bit of a slider. You're telling me this dude's ear was completely off? Yes, how many times do I have to say it? I don't know, man, but that shit's pretty cool. Beats my naked guy story. Please, can we just report this and be done with it? With the camera set up on a slider and it's pushing back as they're walking up, just a little bit of subtle movement there. And then of course, the uh, the shot of, of me answering the door, my head is cut off, which which is an interesting choice. What do, what do you think about that one, Cody? Yeah, that's what I was about to do. There's a lot of interesting selection with the shot uh, in this particular scene. I don't know, were you just trying to keep the cameo level down? I think that's my main thought of, you don't want to throw your face immediately on there. But I'll, I think it's also a thing of, you know, try and hide your age a little bit. So I think the wardrobe for you, I was going to bring that up too. I think it's particularly interesting. You're wearing like a button down with like, it's tucked in with like a belt and jeans, I think, or something. And, and an <laughs> empty holster. I have an empty holster <laughs> <Yes>. as well. <laughs> Good detail, but clearly you're just trying to look older there, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's a mix of a couple of different things. Again, it was like, we've got one take to shoot this. We need to set it up. I was behind the door and this, I actually just kind of let this scene or this particular shot be handled fully by Pablo and Colby. And 
they framed it up. We took it, they got it. They're like, you know what? I, I think this looks kind of cool. And I think it does kind of fit the character of it, it leaves things a little bit mysterious. You don't get to see my face right away. It's like, should this guy be trusted or not? Um, and it also helps, like you said, play into that, you know, make me seem a little bit older if you don't get that head on shot of, of my face necessarily. I didn't order any damn pizza. Uh, sir, please, we need your help. I just witnessed something terrible and I think someone might be after us. Um, the wardrobe for that scene was my uh, my Halloween costume from the previous October, uh, my mailman outfit. I just pulled oh. that button down <laughs> as a cop. Uh, and then a shout out to Austin, my my uh, gun owner friend who who let me borrow his holster <laughs> for the uh, for the shot of uh, me there. That's awesome. Love the costume design coming from past Halloween costumes. That's awesome. And then, of course, in that scene too, um, I mentioned my review. There's a couple little things, but obviously the red lighting of kind of the villain reveal with you. And then as well, some really good music addition, I think, too. The violins mm. kind of bringing just a different tone altogether, I thought, to it. But yeah, what was your, kind of your, your process behind that? Yeah, I know I wanted to do something a little bit different with the music. I was trying to find something that was just really building tension. I thought the strings were a really great way to do that. Those really sharp, like, and it just kind of keeps building up and up. Um, the biggest thing was trying to time that tension of the stream strings with that take. So I had, had to play around with when did the music start? When did it come in? I think even maybe even cut the music up a little bit to kind of have that transition happen a little bit sooner. Send the car down. What's the address? 206 West Elm. Please tell them to hurry. Gotcha. All right, I'm gonna go check on him. Yeah, I'm telling you, your little problem just walked through my front door. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoy the music there, especially for what is just a really simple, like one shot that probably honestly would have been one or two shots if I had a little bit more different time, a little bit more time. Um, but I think the music is able to turn what is just a basic single back and forth shot into something a little bit more exciting. 100%. And that is, like I said, one of my favorite kind of just film scenes as well, the entire thing. So cool. Um, but awesome. I do definitely want to uh, talk about another particular scene in general. I already brought it up a little bit, but of course, I mean, kind of the, it's not the finale shot, but in my mind, it's one of the last scenes, obviously, uh, the nighttime scene, um, which you already talked a bit on the lighting, but I don't know. Cause I mean, do you know where that was shot, Cody? Can you pick that? that was, it's a spot that you should know. I didn't look at the background too much, but I actually do not know. So that was going to be my first question off the top. So that was filmed right next to the barn out by the rec fields at the co-rec. So like where uh -huh. we keep the gator it for IMs, literally like right next to that. It's just kind of this creepy open parking lot where especially at night, nobody parks further over there. Uh, it's close to where obviously we've done a lot of tailgating in the past, yeah. but that's what I was yeah. going to say too. Did anybody like give you any weird looks or anything when they were up there? No, honestly, I mean, dude, we were so far away. Like, no, I don't even think anybody noticed that we were there. I mean, we were in and out in an hour. But uh, some other specifics I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, well, I don't know. It's kind of interesting how it was shot to, even if in Jack's initial shot of rolling up, um, I'm sure that was not the easiest thing to film. Then Austin's kind of close up in the headlights, I think is obviously need to be mentioned as well. But yeah, take me through kind of the nighttime shoot. Yeah, so... 
this we uh my probably my single favorite shot in the whole movie is the shot of jack sticking his head out the window uh anybody order a pizza because um it was difficult to do and it was kind of like the perfect encapsulation of how i'd envisioned doing it so again, breaking out the slider for the camera, we sat one end of it on the hood of the car and then the other side we had using a tripod. And then we, we put the camera on the slider and as he stuck his cam head out, we kind of panned the camera over to the right and pushed it over, slid it. And I just love that shot. I love the look of his eyes. You've got the brake light in the background, some cool like blue color light splashing on his face. Um, the orange light from the inside of the car, just one of my favorites all around, but really cool shot with the slider, good movement. Hey, did anybody order a pizza? Yeah. The stuff of Austin, the headlights. I, I, I love that stuff. Austin, you, you commented on his fantastic acting. I think especially the look of him. Oh, I'm about to oh shit. I'm about to get hit by a car um, <laughs> is really great. Especially when you, you put it in slow-mo, it, it gets even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure in post that was one of probably the favorite things to do is just keep clicking through that scene every time just see his beautiful reaction um but of course i mean that cuts pretty much to the ending of the film i want to hear your take on it obviously i had a, a very specific vision of kind of what all this means was it all in his head obviously we we cut back to um you know jack and uh, again another thing i should want to bring up too the character names in this was something that <laughs> I could not remember too well in my review. What were, were there any thoughts we kind of like, cause I believe it's Timothy. And then what's the other, uh, what's pizza boy's name? I it is know. the characters are Timothy and David. So Timothy David. is oh, yeah. Jack's character and David yeah. is, um, is Chris's character. That's another thing. If I were to do things over with, I would either just probably not name the characters or, better integrate their character names into the movie because i don't even know if they're necessarily said at all maybe he's he says like timothy once i think but or uh i know jack says i'm coming for you david uh, when he's coming to like save him or whatever but even up until that point do you even know that character's name is david i'm not <laughs> sure um so i would definitely probably utilize you know somehow get their names in a little bit better maybe give them pizza boy name tags or something um but in terms of naming them themselves i didn't I don't think there was any particular idea of, of why they would be named Timothy or David. That, that was just kind of the names I came up with. Um, right. Would you like to hear their descriptions as they're written into the script, Cody? I would love to hear those, yeah. Here's the, the description of the opening scene. Timothy sits shotgun in a beat-up early 2000s sedan. He's in his early 20s, skinny and jumpy. In his lap sits a dingy pizza warmer. He turns and looks up at the house that the car is sitting in front of with a look of apprehension. He swallows and turns his head to the driver, David. David is older, but it's hard to say how much older. He has long, messy hair, visible tattoos, and a smile that makes you feel like the most important person in the world. He's a loser <laughs> and the coolest person in the world simultaneously. David sees how D Timothy's skin has gone ash white by sitting there, and he raises his eyebrows as to say, you're going to go deliver that damn pizza? So that's what this, that was how it's written in the scripts. Obviously, based on casting and prop work and there's a ton of changes that happen there but um what do you think of those descriptions Cody? <laughs> <laughs> i really like those they're really in detail of like character driven stuff as well so i think that's a good place to start for sure it's always tough i mean just being a writer and 
in the Hollywood scene, any any scene in general like that too, because once you get the casting, you know, responses is like obviously these people are not going to match up perfectly and they're going to try and do their own thing a little bit with it as well. But yeah, I think that's a really cool starting point. And to go off the names too, I mean, me in general, I can't remember any character names. Like I couldn't even remember the brothers from Avatar. So um, I don't think that's a very big kind of negative against it, especially since it isn't only like eight minute film. It, it would be hard to integrate to, you know, get people exactly remembering everyone's name and stuff. So I don't think that's a massive thing, but definitely a, a fun descriptor off the bat with uh Timothy and David, I think. All right. And uh, yeah, obviously, I, like I had said before as well, uh, the ending is definitely up for interpretation, I think, here. Um, obviously, we were talking about Austin's shot of his eyes opening up, being surprised. Pretty much just cuts away. Come on now. What's the worst that could happen? I could think of a few things. much to kind of the opening scene and what we saw of jack gone or uh timothy excuse me going back up the steps different music this time which i definitely wanted to ask you about and um obviously when he puts down the pizzas again we do hear the audible yell that we heard the first time so um i had an obvious take on it and uh, my review but i'd love to hear kind of your thought process behind it do you know who uh whose yell that is cody <laughs> <laughs> yeah i assume it's jake hughes but i'm gonna guess it to you it is me. In fact, I uh, I didn't feel like, you know, making Jake yell. But funny enough, I I had to record me yelling, right? So like that obviously is a bit of an awkward situation or it can cause some problems. And uh, I like, I think Austin wasn't home, but I like messaged Jake and I was like, hey, like I'm going to be yelling, like just <laughs> ignore it. Like it's cool. And then uh, I went down to the basement and, and like got the, and the whole idea is like, I wanted to do it kind of like a, a muffled yell. So I kind of recorded it from a distance a little bit, but I went down to the basement and yelled like, help. <laughs> and then like, you know, Jake comes coming down like two, you know, two minutes later. And he's like, Hey, are we all good? And I was like, Oh yeah, sorry. I, I I texted you. I guess you didn't see it. Like I was just recording this, but a little bit of an awkward situation there. That's awesome. Uh, glad the neighbors or nobody else are kid. Surprised the cops didn't show up. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. How, how many takes do you think of you did? Have you just screaming? Well, Cody, if they could have heard me yelling just two things on a Tuesday afternoon once, I would say we probably would have gotten into trouble a lot more <laughs> if that was true. But. Yeah, I guess fair. <laughs> Good point there. Um, but, but in talking about the ending, I don't want it to be that it's all in his head thing. I, mm -hmm. I actually really hate that as an idea because, mm -hmm. well, first of all, I'll say it's whatever you want to interpret it as because it is right. a short film and I didn't write something. So like if, if you want it to be that it is in his head and you like that, go ahead. Me personally, I don't want it to be that. I like the idea of a time loop more, or maybe even uh, maybe even he can see the future. Those would be maybe he's a mutant, Cody. Maybe he has superpowers that, in times of distress, he can, you know, see what's going to happen, so he can react differently. Wow, well, that is a mind blowing uh, synopsis. There, I'm on board. Uh, make this an X Men like uh, origin spinoff movie. Uh, I'm completely there. I like the time th time loop thing a lot as well. I think time loop. If I okay, if I was like actually like write this out, 
and mm-hmm. do like a fuller version. One, I would probably expand upon this initial interaction because it is very like right. short and cut down and meant to fit into eight minutes. But you could probably do like a, a 15 minute interlude of this of this similar story. Um, if I was going to continue to write it out, I think time loop would be the direction I would go. But then the other thing that you've talked about is if you want to make it that it is in his head, but then just like have it be a complete fake out. And then the movie is about some other thing that happens. So I I like that idea as well. It's like he predicted this crazy thing was going to happen, but then in reality, Oh shit. Like it's a whole nother crime thing you have to deal with. Maybe there's aliens. Fuck who knows. (laughs) I like the aliens. Uh, Shout out again, contact Jody Foster. (laughs) (laughs) Deals directly with aliens. Yeah. I think that is a cool concept just because like the whole anxiety ridden character as well in this contactless world in a sense kind of he's just anxious in a sense like he he's going through this entire process of this is all in his head and then it would just be a completely different film obviously you know that's just my take on it uh nobody really wants to see that but yeah i don't know it's up to kind of interpretation which is some of the best stuff in film i think so i kind of like how you left it like with that especially in a short film format i think it makes it a lot more interesting but awesome. I think that pretty much covers everything from my review. One last thing I had to bring up. Can't believe we have not mentioned it yet. It is the uh, Catch Me If You Can reference, which of course we have reviewed on our podcast. So if you've not seen that, go check that out. But uh, two mice, man, they, they just fell in a bucket of cream and, and you had to include it in your in your short film. It's it's my favorite movie. You know, um, I got to give love to Leo, to, to Steve and, and to old Tommy Hanks. Uh, so yeah, shout out to the the pizzeria for which they work, which is Two Mice Pizzeria, and you can see it on the uh, the contact card. And and funny enough, the, what I did was I changed Colby's contact in my phone to Two Mice Pizzeria, and then I changed his like profile picture to a little bucket of milk. Since then, I have not I've changed him back to Colby, but he still has the little bucket of milk as his. Uh, <laughs> wonderful profile picture on my phone so there you go love that shout out i I also put my phone on the line to get slammed against the glass for for multiple days (laughs) i was gonna ask that too because yeah him dropping the phone i mean it ruins uh kind of everything for his character too because it puts him obviously in a bind but um yeah just throwing somebody's phone kind of down into the window gutter i feel like would be an interesting kind of uh you know uh, offer from somebody but uh from the director editor writer etc it definitely makes sense as somebody who lived in that house does it feel weird to like to have like what to watch like that in like a movie or like a movie quote-unquote yeah i mean 100 i mean we we lived there for for a while so obviously it's pretty much just the exterior and a little bit of the basement but yeah it's i would it's still a little weird it's still cool i think like Imagine like your childhood home is like in this uh, Hollywood film all of a sudden. It's kind of like that feeling of, oh, uh, you know, <laughs> this is a strange sensation for me, but no one else will understand. So I kind of love that. Um, but cool. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Kind of just anything in general before I get to some of my more specific questions for you? No, that's all I got for now. I'm, I'm really curious to see what uh, questions you've got for me uh, lined up here. All right. So I will open the floor uh, to myself for some. And these these will be all over the place. but. <laughs> For me, kind of the thing that I wanted to start off with, and this will be pretty broad, but uh, who would you say is kind of like your biggest directorial influence? Mm-hmm. And it could be specifically from this film or just in general, I guess. But I had a suggestion for you. Obviously, Tarantino appears in all of his work. So that's the clear one here, I think, uh, on my end. But 
Yeah, I, I don't know, just like what's your thought process even behind kind of the directorial position? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I, I would say like there's one specific person I was pulling from. Obviously, with the cameo Tarantino works, I wouldn't say the dialogue or in some ways subject matter is a, could be, a, I could see Tarantino probably making a much better version of the movie. I mean, I'm sure any director would, but like, I think there'd be a cool, gory, actual, like violent. I mean, he does heist well, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, like he could handle that well. Um, I think in certain aspects, sure, you know, you can call Tarantino, but for the ending, maybe a little Nolan, a little time loopy stuff. Maybe it's just a Groundhog Day, Palm Springs love. <laughs> Obviously, general, you know, 30 minutes or less is kind of like a, a pizza crime heist similar thing so you could say there's some like general inspiration and subject matter from that but not much in in terms of like having jesse eisenberg or, or danny mcbride in it but um aziz and zari as well i forgot about him. Zari. um i don't know specifics you know i i don't think i could compare myself to anybody else maybe a little soda break action we'll, we'll go for that you do you do love yourself some sodi so i like that a lot too um, that kind of does go into my next question as well. I mean, just for you, what would you say was like kind of the hardest thing for you in this directing process as well? Was it kind of weird kind of having all these hats? What was kind of your relationship on set um, kind of being in the scenes at the same time too? I think that's always interesting. I definitely think writing the script was the hardest. I said at the beginning, like I'm not, a, I don't, I hate my writing. I don't see myself as a good writer, particularly dialogue, creating dialogue that's different, like separate characters is a really difficult thing people with their own unique voices is very hard to craft and i think i struggle with that i think the shooting day was super stressful but i was actually not i wouldn't really call it hard like it was just a long day of fast moving but like i had a lot of great people helping me i haven't even mentioned brendan wirtz who was both just kind of like a production assistant sound guy helped us literally do anything we needed. So shout, I got to shout him out as well. Um, we just had a lot of great people who were willing to help out. You know, the cast knew their lines. They were prepared. Pablo knows how to work the camera extremely well. Colby was there to figure out any fucking weird audio tech malfunction that was happening. So like I was surrounded by people who filled in any gaps that I couldn't handle especially with like lighting and tech and sound and stuff like that. Um, I had the people to help me out. So that was awesome. I think my interacting with actors is something I could definitely work on. Like, I think it's hard for me to like convey, you know, what I wanted out of a scene or, you know, what kind of emotion I wanted or what even, you know, what, what can I say to them to get them to give me what they want? Because I think in reality, that's what separates some of the best directors in Hollywood, people that can direct actors um, and turn them into just, you know, what they want and what their vision is for them. And then in the post, again, my day job is editing. So I can't really say I hate editing. It's not my favorite thing to do. A special linear, linear storytelling editing is not my favorite. Um, but it went through a lot of iterative processes. My professor um, also shouted him, technically executive producer on this, Jeremy Sklar, um, was super helpful with kind of, you know, piecing together some of the comedy and how to, can we change the edit? But I would say the writing was was probably the most difficult in general in working with actors. Yeah. And I think that's a couple of the hardest things just in the movie making process in general as well. So I don't think that's really a slight to you. Writing like realistic and kind of unique dialogue is an unbelievably hard thing to do, I feel like. And uh, yeah, like directorial wise, working with actors, 
I feel like if you did direct more stuff, obviously you'd pick up on kind of the more of the actor cues, how to interact with them and stuff as well. So that makes sense. Kind of weird. You also, and I, and I know you also mentioned, you know, what it was like acting in a scene that I was directing. And that that yeah. is a difficult thing. I mean, there's people in some cases who are like actually like acting and directing. Think of like, you know, Bradley Cooper's Maestro that's coming out later this year. He is the lead actor where he's playing Leonard Bernstein, but he is also directing that movie itself. Like that is a very difficult thing to do. And, you know, Michael B. Jordan did it in Creed 3 this year. Like I, I do not... I'm very impressed by that. I don't envy anybody that does it on a huge, large scale. Um, again, I did it with the help of great people around me. Um, and it was a lot of, you know, doing takes. Okay, we need to watch that back. Trusting that the framing would be right. Uh, trusting the people around me um, is, is huge in, in the process. Yeah, 100%. Another uh, great example of that too. Ben Argo. I'm fucking talking about Another good yeah, example. Like ben Argo. <laughs> Ben Argo. Keep that in. But uh, yeah, Ben Affleck, obviously best picture Argo. I mean, I, I think just uh, from what little I know of that too, uh, you're dead on. Kind of just like trusting uh, the people behind the camera when you are the scenes. I feel like that's difficult as a director, um, especially if you are one of the main people in it. So yeah, definitely interesting stuff there. But kind of moving on to a similar vein of what we were talking about, and you already mentioned earlier, but did you have anything else specific that you would want to do differently if you could go back in time today? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think every movie would probably say this, but more time to shoot. <laughs> like, I think there's yeah, probably never been there. a movie that's been like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think we, had, we had, I mean, maybe Clint Eastwood, He's he's got plenty of time. But yeah, just like if I could have done this over two days, but when it comes to, you know, trying to get multiple people's schedules to line up, I was super busy. It's my senior year, especially working multiple jobs, doing this, doing, you know, trying to finish school, trying to shoot the movie, try, being a part of, you know, organizations and such. Like I was pretty busy and it was hard to find just that, you know, single day that I literally, I blocked off where it's like, don't schedule me for anything. I cannot do anything on this day. And it would have been nice to have a couple more hours to shoot. That would, that would be the number one thing for sure. I would also wonder like if I handed this off to like a professional editor, you know, Hey, how much better could it be with some really good sound mixing, some really good, piecing together I think you know maybe things would be a little bit better because or even if I went back and re-edited it now with like the skills that I have after you know a year of working and doing it every day um, I'm sure I could probably make something that would be better yeah and I was gonna say I think uh, technically you are already a professional editor so. <laughs> uh, you know semantics there but yeah. yeah I like that it's always kind of the nitpicky stuff and only one day to shoot I feel like is definitely a tight schedule but that is a good point. I mean, you're a busy college student. You're working all the time. It is hard to just get one day of doing nothing. So even even if accomplishing that, I think, is impressive and it's all right. Um, yeah, because I mean, and just like I, I didn't detail like the specifics of the schedule, but like we shot from basically like 11. We all met up at like 11 a.m., got the first shot of Ben in his underwear uh, getting the pizza delivered oh, yeah. to him. That was the very first that. shot we did, yeah. uh, which we haven't talked about. It was the very yeah. first shot. We shot from like 11 to like 6.30 and then or maybe 6. Jack had like a meeting at 6.30. And then we broke, went and had some dinner and then re-met up at like 8 and then shot for another like three hours. And that was all the time we had to, you know, put the whole thing together. Which then when you say, oh, here's eight minutes that you got out of that, you know, nine hours, it's a little sad. But, you know, it, that's what it takes. Yeah, a lot of... uh probably footage on the cutting room floor but hey man that's the movie making process um we yeah. shot colby's movie from like 
11 a.m. to 11 a.m. the next day. We were shooting all through the night. It was like 5 a.m., but then they woke up early. Yeah, it, we we his movie was a long shoot. <laughs> Love that. And uh, yeah, somehow we have not mentioned. It's I don't know what kind of music it is to call it. It's like the do 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 like kind of flashback in black and white of uh, <laughs> the of course uh, no clothes pizza delivery. Three years. And the craziest shit I've seen is some dude wearing nothing but a crisp pair of white socks. At least he tipped well. What, was he wearing any clothes, Corbin? I think that's the burning question here. He was unfortunately in some in some shorts. And the thing is, that shot specifically, actually, I would really like to do over. Mm. I would have loved to get some more pizzas. And again, it was the very first shot we did. It was the only shot we were doing at that location. That was Ben's house that we shot that at. And then we were moving up and meeting up with everybody, the full cast. I would love to redo that shot with more pizzas, maybe from a wider angle. Cause the whole thing is supposed to be that he's just supposed to be standing there like in a pair of socks. So I would love to do like a full wide shot of it. Pizza boxes covering his groin and, and get the comedic bit. I kind of had to fake a little bit with the edit, do like a slow-mo. That's where the, I, I had to play around and I, and I'm not super happy with the way it looks. I would have executed it differently had I redone it. Yeah. Had a, if enough. I had, because honestly I had like maybe two seconds where you couldn't tell that he was wearing underwear. So I had yeah. to make it slow-mo. That's what you had to use. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, always stuff you can look back on, but still a fun shot regardless. Um, but sweet, moving on to a couple uh, fun questions for me at the end here. I think you actually brought this up, but uh, if I was in this film, Corbin, what role do you think I should have played? I'm, I mean, listen, I would never want to take anything away from Austin, but I think the little goon henchmen give you a couple speaking lines. I think that'd be great. You'd be my partner in crime, literally. Yeah, I, I think that would be the best one. Or or, or see you get murdered. Either of, the, either of the roommate roles would have been perfect for you, Cody. I agree. I think, either way, honestly, I think me getting murdered would probably be funnier, but I think I could deliver some of those uh, those great lines as well that, um, you know, Austin had as well. So would you, I'd, here's the question, Cody. Say, I, if I, I know you said you wanted to be in it, but uh, would you have, uh, would you have tried for for a lead role? Would you have been for gunning for for Timothy or David? I probably would have auditioned for David. Um, I think you would you would definitely fit the David role way more. Yeah. yeah, Timothy, I don't think would have been a great fit for me, but I can be kind of the the sidekick guy, like uh, with some quippy one liners, and be like, "Bro, what are you worried about? Like, go fucking deliver the pizza." Like yeah. But uh, yeah, I would have been down for any role really that you would have cast me in. So yeah, no complaints. Should it? Should have failed your classes, stayed another year at Purdue, Cody. That's your problem. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Uh, but awesome. Uh, one final question for me. And uh, I actually don't even know the answer to this in general. Have you been working on any other things? What is your next project? I have not been working on anything else, sadly, Cody. Um, I And I think the biggest reason is the whole writing thing. Like, I don't see myself as a writer. I don't really think I have a story that needs to be told necessarily either. Right. Like just to me, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm not a writer. If I had a script that someone wanted me to shoot or do something with, yeah, then maybe I'd, I'd have some fun. So Cody get to writing and then maybe we can work on something. <laughs> I'm always saying the same. I mean, listen, my girlfriend is literally a, a writing college major like double ma- and where's her yeah. scripts at? That's what I'm always asking for. So. And she got a special shout out in a, Special thanks to she did do some uh, she did some uh, script supervising some script rewriting not rewriting but some she did help on the script so yeah shout out to 
Well, special shout out to me and Naki, of course, cap favorite. And uh, yeah, maybe her, me and her will pair up on a script and uh, we'll get the whole gang back together and uh, make a little film. But there you go. And you could finally I, be in I it. Think you, should, you should 100% uh, work again, if I'm being completely honest. But in, yeah. in terms of in terms of like working on stuff, I mean, like I said, I edit every day as yeah. my job. You can check out my work <laughs> professional, of course. in very, You're various places. So it, at times and, and then I edit this, of course, as well. So it's it's hard to, you know, sometimes find the uh, the passion to go do it more. <laughs> That is true with yeah, the madness of May Mania. I'm sure you have no time this month. <laughs> yeah, understandable. Um, but awesome. I think that will wrap up our talk on contactless today. Corbin, any final thoughts on all this? If you guys made it this far, you are a real one. That is the greatest <laughs> birthday gift I could ever ask for. Thank you for uh, coming along on the ride. And uh, go check out contactless, man. <laughs> yeah. If you've, again, not seen it, obviously the link is in the description. Shout out to all the cast and crew you know put all this vision and work and uh yeah shout out to corbin happy birthday man thought we could do this episode together and you could kind of fill in the blanks on everything looking uh, forward to your birthday episode a lot in in the oh, next yeah. couple of days should be a fun one so stay tuned for that and also stay tuned for the rest of our main mania if you haven't seen our uh last episode on some of our streaming recommendations 100 check that out we also have tons of fun stuff in got company. some baseball stuff coming some, That's some double baseball stuff it is summer it is baseball season if you're a baseball fan stick around because we will have some upcoming content some movies uh, plus baseball stuff let's yeah. say yeah a lot so. of fun stuff of course we're going to keep it movie related here on cap but uh yeah definitely stay tuned check us out on all of our socials instagram twitter you know whatever else we're on youtube of course spotify too um, and Corbin, I noticed a new thing. I don't know when this was inputted, but uh, the actual video is actually of us talking. He's on Spotify now. Isn't that awesome? I decided to do something a little special for May Mania and, and put yeah. up the video pods on Spotify. I don't know if we'll continue it past May. The The upload time is really long, but I wanted it for May Mania. I wanted to do some video pods for the people. Well, there you go. I love that. Uh, maybe any special. So you better hop on our other pods now. But uh that is all for today. Definitely appreciate you guys, but uh, stay capping and we'll see you soon. Peace. Peace. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.